Good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. It's just great to be here. It's a real privilege. I'm uh, a little jet laggy, but not too bad. So I'm just, it's just beautiful out here, and uh, I'm glad that we could gather together this morning. And I would like to just bow our heads before we begin this morning. Dear Father in Heaven, thank you so much that we can come together on your Sabbath day. We just are so grateful for this special time, these special hours, and I pray that as we gather together that you would come to us and be our instructor and speak to our hearts. Help us to be open to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've been the Health and Temperance Director for Michigan Conference for about four years now, and it, it's, it's really interesting. It's sort of like being a, a periodontal surgeon. People don't exactly flock to health and temperance meetings uh, because of some preconceptions about what health and temperance really means. And you probably know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, I remember speaking one time at a little church in, a, in uh, Georgia, a little country church in Georgia, and the, a very dear little saintly elder got up to introduce me, and he said, we're so glad to have Sister Griffin come to talk to us about health. And the congregation said, Amen. <laughs> and then he said, Now health, that's important. But salvation, that's the thing. And everyone went, Amen. <laughs> and as I sat down warming myself with that introduction, the scripture that came to my mind was, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which what? War against the soul. Can our fleshly habits war against our spiritual life today? Oh, they certainly can. And another thing that I have to contend with is people look at me, I'll do some talks, and, and they'll say, well, yeah, sure. You look like a librarian, you know, all organized. You probably have all your stuff color-coded in your closet and have your paper clips all organized according to color. And I really smile because I was not raised in this denomination. I actually uh, came up in a very violent home. I was raised, in, my family was in the wine business, actually. And I was a runaway and started running away from home when I was five years old and developed a very, very severe eating disorder when I was 11. Uh, I developed bulimia as a result of the chaos that I lived in and all of that kind of stuff. It's contributed to chaos in my mind. And so I had that terrible disorder for 20 miserable years until I was 31 years old. And so today I'm here to tell you that the gift of temperance is one of the gifts of the Spirit, isn't it? It is not something that we do. It is a divinely implanted trait of Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can help us to desire to do what's the best for us. Amen? He's the only one. And uh, this morning, the title of our discussion, of our, our message is, How Urgent Is This Message? How many of us have this sense right now, with all of the critical events that are occurring, that the Lord's hand of protection is slowly being withdrawn from our beloved nation? That things are happening at a pace which we can hardly keep up with. Sudden, unexpected changes are on the horizon, and we feel it in our bones. Are we ready? 
And in light of that, how urgent is this message really? How urgent is the message of Sabbath keeping? Is the message of Sabbath keeping urgent? Is it an urgent message? All right, why is it urgent? Can someone tell me why? Why is it urgent? It's the truth by which we are sealed. The message of Sabbath keeping is urgent during this crisis hour. But you know, when this message was given to that little group of youth in the early 1800s, the message of Sabbath keeping, did you know that there were already Sabbath keepers? How many, y'all knew that. There were already Sabbath keepers. There were Sabbatarian Anabaptists. There were Seventh day Baptists. And they were keeping the Seventh day Sabbath. They kept the Seventh day Sabbath because Jesus and his disciples endorsed it. Is that true? They kept the Sabbath because they believed that the Ten Commandments have not been abolished. Is that true? They kept the Seventh-day Sabbath because they believed that an apostate power had come onto the scene and tried to change the day of worship. Is that also true? And yet when God came to our people, when God came to this little group who were anxiously awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ, the message that came down to their hearts was that it was time for the Sabbath to be proclaimed more fully. More fully than what? More fully than who? That is the question that we want to answer as we progress into our health message this morning. Why were we called to proclaim the Sabbath more fully? Not rejecting or ignoring the other truths which cause other Sabbath keepers to keep the Sabbath, but surely we are being being given another dimension of Sabbath keeping. And we will find that dimension if we look... In Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel. I'll wait till you get there. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Of a truth, or verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it... The Sabbath day, not a ceremonial Sabbath, but it, the Sabbath, is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that does what? That does sanctify you. So clearly, proclaiming the Sabbath more fully for you and for me means that it's an enduring sign that God can take nothing and make something out of it. That he can regenerate the human heart, nurture it, grow it, and blossom it into Christian maturity. Amen? And so the message of Sabbath keeping is a message about dominion. I keep the seventh day Sabbath as a sign that God has dominion over my life the other six days of the week. Sometimes, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but sometimes I wish there was a sign over my door, over our office, that said, Seven-Day Adventist. You know why? Not to minimize the seventh day, because I want to be a Seventh-Day Adventist seven days a week. And what I do the other six days a week is what shows whether God has dominion over my life those other days. 
That's what the Sabbath is a celebration of. It's a celebration that he is in control of every area of my life, that I've given him dominion over my life, that I've given him permission to come into my heart, into my life, and change me. That means change my heart. That means change my habits. It means changing my thinking and my perspectives and my motives and what I do and how I do it and what I watch and what I wear and how I present myself to the world as a a child of Jesus. And as I see the spiritual declension in terms of Sabbath keeping, I, I have a meeting coming up at another state in a few weeks and they scheduled me for two afternoon meetings, and they, and they wrote me a little email and said, uh, we're grateful that you're doing a second meeting. We want you to know that this is important because there are people who are delaying starting their vacations to come and hear you speak Sabbath afternoon. And I thought, well, what on earth compliment is that? It's Sabbath. They should stay put until the Sabbath's over and then start driving on their vacation. I'm not doing them a favor by speaking and making them stay there. They should be staying there anyway. And as I see the, the uh, carelessness of conversation, the carelessness of dress in the sanctuary of God, the carelessness of uh, our attitudes about how we reverence the Sabbath day and what we do on the Sabbath, to me, it's just a sign of something deeper. It's a sign that something is going on the rest of the week that isn't quite clicking. And I think we need to find time for Jesus every day. Amen? And we have a very precious man in uh, Michigan. His name is Jim Mitchiff, and he is our youth director. And he interviews young people every year to come and be camp counselors. And he asks them a series of questions to, to qualify them for camp counseling position. And he'll say, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, Pastor Mischief, I really love Jesus. Are you willing to serve Jesus? Oh, yes, I'm willing to serve Jesus. I'll do anything for him. And the third question, how much time do you spend with him every day? Well, I'm not. And so clearly, our message of renewal and renovation and Sabbath reform has very much to do with not understanding legal issues about the Sabbath. It has very much to do and everything to do with our daily walk with God. Amen? Because the truth speaks for itself. And the more closely we examine it, the more brilliant it shines. Now let me ask you this. Is the message of biblical living, that's what I like to call it, Biblical living. Is the message of biblical living an urgent message? Healthful living. Health message. People think vegelinks when I say health message. (laughs) But is the message of biblical living urgent during this critical judgment hour? Thousands of souls are being swept away as we speak. People are dying right now because of the enemy sweeping away innocent lives in the calamities as the Lord withdraws his Holy Spirit from this earth. Is the message of health and temperance important now? You know, in Michigan, Ford and General Motors are spending $6 billion on health care. $6 billion. And as a result, they spend more money on health care than steel that they put into their cars. And as a result of the absolute outrageous cost of health care today and the spending that is going on, they've actually received um, 
uh, lower bond ratings because secular Wall Street people understand you can't continue to spend and fuel that kind of a program and stay above water. And so their stock ratings are going down as a result. The average American spends $7,000 a year just on pills. The average American has nine prescription pills. Nine. I've worked with people that are on 15 different medications. Is that why this message is urgent? Why is it urgent? Is it because lives are being lost every day? I would maintain to you that that is not why it's urgent. Because if that was the only reason it's urgent, I could go work for the American Dietetics Association and really motivate people, you know, light a fire under them and get them to lose that weight and get rid of that mid-belly fat or whatever it is, start walking on the treadmill. And, you know, we can only get so much mileage out of a piece of broccoli. <laughs> Have you ever met a mean vegetarian? <laughs> they could be meaner than snakes, huh? I was at a vegetarian congress one time. I actually heard about this vegetarian congress. I was going to go to it. I didn't get a chance. But a, a, a vegan woman pelted the speaker with a lemon pie. She didn't like what he was saying. It was a healthy pie. But clearly, the health message must go deeper than physical outcomes. Now, am I minimizing physical outcomes? Is physical health important? Are health principles important? That's my job. But this morning on the Sabbath day, we want to understand what the health message really means and why we're doing it. Otherwise, it's worthless. And if you look in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, the Bible says in verse 6 that there's a worldwide message preaching the everlasting gospel to every nation, people, kindred, and tongue, crying with a loud voice. This is not a timid message, is it? Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and what? Give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So here we have three components critical components of the first angel's message. How many angels are there giving a message? How many angels do we have? There are three angels' messages to be given by God's people. This is the first one. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him. So here we have the element of worship. Worship is being exalted as a grand test at the end of time. Who will we worship? How will we worship? When will we worship? It is a test that is going to create a dividing line between those who serve God and those who do not. But there are other elements of the first angel's message. The urgency of the message is in the fact that it's the judgment hour. It's the judgment hour. Paul did not even have that message. He said, that hour is not yet come. He said, it is judgment. He preached to Felix of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. But what's our message? Judgment is come. It's here. But the other element is give glory to him. What is the, what is the position and the condition of God's people who give this amazing, thrilling, terrifying message? What is their position? 
They are giving glory to him. What does that mean? To give glory to God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 31, it says in those pages, in that verse, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or, what's the next word? Whatever. Whatever. Wow, that hurts, doesn't it? Whatever you do, do how much? Do all to the glory of God. Of God. Friends, this is so critical. I was reading in Inspired Writings the other day, and it says, The world, the world is the instrument that sifts the church and tests the genuineness of its members. It's the world. By the time the Sabbath test comes, it's too late for you and too late for me. We know that truth. We have that truth. That's not our test. Our test is faithfulness now. Transformation now. Living for him now. You know, I don't like living in Michigan. When we got the call to go to Michigan, I was born in California, San Francisco, raised in Riverside, you know, love these mountains. But we were called to Michigan. I'm cold in 55-degree weather. It gets so cold in Michigan that when you walk outside, you feel like you're getting hit with a a bucket of nails. We have to dress up like terrorists. I put on these face masks and snowsuits and mucklucks to go for a walk out there. When we got the call, Dane left. He said, we're not going to Michigan. I said, no, no way. We're not going to Michigan. Well, six months later... We were in Michigan. But you know, there's something I love about Michigan. When it gets real cold, people put their clothes back on. (laughs) And I see, you know, our dear girls in these gownless evening straps. The dresses look like they've been through paper shredders. Guys walking around in pants that look like loaded diapers. (laughs) And I have to ask myself, what has happened to Christian purity? You know, there's a difference between femininity and beauty and sensuality, isn't there? And these poor girls get themselves hooked up in all kind of eating disorders because they'll buy clothes that are too too tight and then they feel fat. It's a really serious problem. It's a really serious problem. And so God wants to cover us beautifully. Amen? Amen. Nothing wrong with looking nice. He wants us to look feminine and pure, but not sleazy. Because if we're saying, look at me, look at my body parts. I went to, my mother stuck me in modeling school when I was very young because I was tall and she didn't want me to have a complex about my height. And they come in and they pinch you to see what you have to lose. It contributed to my eating disorder. But one thing they did tell me in that secular pagan 
environment. They said, if, if a man is walking down the streets and he doesn't look first at your face, if people don't notice your face first, you're not dressed properly. It's like one Western lady said. She said, well, these clothes don't show, they point to. <laughs> and so we're not just talking about food today, are we, brothers and sisters? We're talking about a look that says, I belong to royalty. I'm special. I don't have to look like Britney Spears. I want to look like the queen of Revelation. Amen? Amen? And you will have a beauty that will attract beautiful people to you. You don't need that riffraff that just drools over bodies, okay? And we're not going to go any farther with that. (laughs) And I'm very thankful today to have been liberated from that thinking. But it meant changing my television viewing habits. It meant changing... What I read, it meant getting rid of the ladies' magazines. It meant changing everything about my life and my eating habits, too. And so I'm really grateful today for his deliverance. I've been free from bulimia for 20 years now. But I still have to fight that weird thinking. And when you've had a problem, or you've had an addiction, you know that those things still linger to, to haunt you and to try to pervert your thinking. But when the Lord delivered me from bulimia, I was throwing up up to a dozen times a day spitting up blood. I was about 10, 15 pounds thinner than I am right now. And when he set me free, I heard a message that Jesus died to create a reservoir of righteousness and that he died to put a hatred in our hearts for sin. That was a really new thought for me. I never saw what I was doing as sinful. I saw it as emotional problem. And it was. Satan uses trauma to take advantage of people, doesn't he? He takes advantage of our trauma and hurt and pain to create sin in our life. And we need to throw the whole thing back on him and give it to him and allow him to heal our thinking. Because he says, if the son will set you free, you will be free indeed. So I went from that state. I said, Lord, I'm just sick of this. I had no idea that you wanted this kind of dominion in my life. I'm so grateful. And, And I gave him everything, but there was only one thing I wanted in return. I said, I am so mad at the devil. Because I I grew up in an atheistic home. I didn't know anything about anything. And then violence layered on top of that and, you know, a lot of partying on top of that and all that kind of stuff. And I was angry that my life had been wasted for 31 years. And so I said, I only have one request. I only want one thing in return. I'm just, I just want to pay the devil back for what he did to me. I'm so mad at him. Now I knew who who to be mad at. And now I'm the... I am the health and temperance director, commissioned to terrorize everywhere I go. <laughs> First Corinthians six. First Corinthians six, nineteen and twenty. Paul reiterates the message of Revelation chapter fourteen, and he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God and you are not your own. It's hard for us to think of our possessions, ourselves, our habits as being anything but our own, isn't it? My money. I remember when Dane and I got married, I was a real woman's liber. And uh, I told him, if you throw your socks on the floor, I'll nail them to the ground. I wasn't put on this planet to serve you or anybody else. That was his little bride. (laughs) 
And so the concept of yielding, the concept of being humble, the concept of meekness, it just was not in my thinking. But the Lord brings it even further home to us. And he says, not only are you a servant to others, but I am in charge. I'm in charge of your life. And he says, I will set you free when you give me charge of your life. And what, what is it that we hold back on the things? You know, we think we're going to hurt or suffer or be deprived if we give everything to God. And my husband tells an amazing story about the, um, about the junk mobile. If you have, has anybody ever seen an old Corniche, an old, I mean an old, what are those cars called? A Rambler, an old Rambler. Filled with junk, doors rusting off the hinges, carrying a trailer in the back full of trash. You drive by a a silver Corniche dealership, and there's a sign, make us a deal, giving away silver Corniches today. And Dane says, well, you park down the street because you don't want anybody to see your rattle trap, and you'd go just to take a peek. And the salesman spots you and says, hey, have we got a deal for you today? Straight exchange. And, and, and he says, no, no, I, I don't think you understand. I, I, and he says, is that your car? That old rambler over there with the bumper falling off and the trash in the back? Oh, yeah, it's mine. You are in luck today. You give me the keys to that rambler, I'll give you the keys to the Corniche. Oh, I don't know. You know, I think I left some laundry money in the glove compartment. <laughs> You know, it's just that stupid. I don't know. I love the kind of music I listen to. It's not, I, I'm not really interested in having purity in that area of my life. I don't know. I'm really hooked on the Internet. I'm really hooked on porn. I really love those ding-dongs. I just don't know if I can give that up. And there's a silver corniche waiting over in the shadows. You give the car, you get the corniche. And it gets just that ludicrous, doesn't it? Not that the Lord does not want us to enjoy simple pleasures. There's nothing wrong with having desserts. People are terrified. I'm going to come and tell them they can't have dessert. And I don't feel that way. But friends, our, our God is a balanced God, and he wants us to have balanced lives. And so the Bible says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. What is that price? Jesus shed his blood. Do you feel like you're not special? Do you feel like you're not beautiful? Do you feel like you're just being passed by? Watch and see what the Lord wants to do with your life. Whom he calls, he qualifies. He has predestined from the foundation of the world for you to do a work that no one else can do. No one else can do it. He says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Therefore, glorify your God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. They're his. And so here we see from Revelation chapter 14 that the judgment hour message, the message of true worship and Sabbath keeping, and the message of biblical living are inextricably bound together. You cannot separate any of them. You cannot separate them. They are one. And that is what qualifies us to give the second and third angel's message. Acceptance of these anchor truths 
is what gives power to the second and third angel's message. It's the message of God's dominion. And the worship is a sign of that dominion. The hour of his judgment has come. It gives vigor and spirituality to God's people. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.2 that it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You know, David uh, Gates was talking to us last night. We were having a little patio chat, and he was talking about the, the faithfulness in, in stewardship of our money. And as he was talking, I came under conviction. I just thought, Lord, you know, I'm very good to myself. I need to get a self-denial box going. I need to start sacrificing some of those little odds and ends that seem so necessary. But in the light of the big picture, they're so worthless. We're told in inspired writings that if we understood the evil in this world, how much evil there is in this world, it would kill us. He shields us from understanding. But hasn't he opened our eyes enough so that we need to start making some changes? The message that we have is not, if I look beautiful enough and if my clothes are tight enough, then I'm going to be an example and a witness to fellow worldlings. No! It's not going to be how much fun and groovy. Groove grass is the new music. That's not what's going to attract God's people. It's going to be the message that God puts us back in self-control. He puts us back in the driver's seat. And now when we are free, we're free to think about somebody else besides ourselves. That's my New Year's resolution. I want to get myself off my mind. It's a really, it's a really, that's a really deep New Year's resolution. And I think I'll be working on it till the Lord comes. We all will. He wants us to belong to him in five areas of stewardship. T, the five T's. Our time is his. Our time is his. And that includes worship time. I, I put everything else in my ministry and in my life around my time with God. I've got to have it. I just have to have it. I'm one of these people that just falls off the cliff. I can't fake refinement or being nice or any of these things. Now, my husband, he was raised a really good kid, nice family. You know, he can go for a few days uh, waiting in the water. He doesn't. He has his time with God. So I'm not saying that he does. But some of us, it re- the rust starts to show through real quick. And that's okay. He has more grace for those that have greater weaknesses. Amen? Amen. More grace. Our time belongs to him. Our talents belong to him. And as you use what you have for God, he will increase it. Our thoughts are his. Interesting study just came to my office the other day. Daydreaming. You know, people love to daydream and imagine themselves being the emperor, imagine themselves, whatever it is, having a harem. I don't know what they imagine. But anyway, daydreaming processes, when they are allowed to go uncontrolled, actually contribute to Alzheimer's disease. It is the same process that begins to degenerate. In Alzheimer's disease, we're told that the Lord wants to bring every thought into captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we're always going to be thinking about religious things, but it means our thoughts will be wholesome. We will catch up stray thoughts. We'll say no to going down alleys that we shouldn't go down in our thinking. Amen? Amen. And that will help our eyes to stay in the right place too, whether it's TV or magazines or whatever it is. Our thoughts belong to him. Our treasure is God's. However little or big it is, it belongs to him. And finally, our body temple belongs 
to Jesus Christ. And you know, it's really interesting. There's even more about the health message that is very significant in terms of prophecy. And Peter Gregory is going to be talking to us about prophecy some this weekend. But if you turn to Luke, if you turn to Luke chapter 21, we see there that intemperate living is directly associated with unpreparedness for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible prophesies a time of increased stress. Are we having increased stress in this world? I I saw a caricature on a nurse's refrigerator. It said, it it was a woman with her hair on end and her eyes were whirly gigs, her mouth was in a square, and it said, I have one nerve left and you are about to get on it. And you know, at places like Walmart and Myers, the store that we have in Michigan, they hire someone to stand inside and smile at you. Smiling is a paid position because you do not know what's going to happen once you go through those doors. And we walked into one of those stores one night, and the greeter was scowling. I said, Dane, see, you can't pay people enough to be pleasant anymore. (laughs) She needs a raise. It says in in Luke, it says that distress of nations with perplexity will be increasing. And that term perplexity actually means dead end. When we try to solve our problems outside of Christ, dead end every time. Try to kill the pain with TV, dead end. Try to kill it with a ding dong, dead end. Surfing the net, whatever it is, it's a dead end. It says men's hearts will be failing them. Uh, them for fear. What does Jesus tell us to do? Therefore, he says in verse 34, take heed to yourselves. Take a look at yourself. Lest at any time you're overcharged, overwhelmed with gluttony, excess, and drunkenness, and the cares of this life, lest that day come upon you unawares. In other places, we see the link between inordinate lifestyle and unpreparedness for the second coming of Jesus Christ, unpreparedness for the judgment hour message, not even able to live it, let alone give it. And we're not going to turn to those scriptures because my time is running out. But as it was in the days of Noah, they ate, they drank, they married, they gave in marriage. Are any of those things wrong? No. But people were wholly given over to it. It was their focus. It was their preoccupation. And it says they knew not until the flood came and destroyed them all. And then in Luke chapter 19, we see a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he left his stewardship to his servants. And he said, occupy till I come. But it says his servants hated him they hated him how did that how was that hatred manifest they said in their hearts my lord delays his coming in their hearts not in their speech but in their hearts their lifestyle reflected that they really weren't serious about the coming of jesus christ they hated him and they began to eat and drink with the drunken and beat the manservants and the maidservants and it they became cruel in their characters unkind gossiping, putting others down to lift themselves up. And it says he came back and he says, those 
mine enemies that would not, that I would rule over them. He said, bring them before me and slay them. It's that serious. It's that urgent. That's why it's urgent. They have gone from a position of being a servant and a citizen to being an enemy. And he says, slay them. Because they would not have me rule over them. What is the Sabbath a sign of? Dominion. What is the health message all about? Dominion. What is Revelation 14, verse 7 all about? Dominion of God in our life so that we are free to worship him who can take nothing. He can take your nothing life and my nothing life and shape it for his glory. When people live under constant stress and are out of control, it leads to depression, hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness, despair, and fear. That is why we are called as messengers of reconciliation to a people who are cut off, broken off, turned off, and dying. And Jesus has bequeathed peace to us. He says, you know, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, I have bequeathed peace to you. My peace I live unto you, give unto you. Isn't it interesting? I always want the Lord to change the circumstance, don't you? Lord, I'll get, I'll get straightened out, you know, with my temper or whatever. As soon as you straighten this circumstance out, then I'll be able to have the victory in, my, in this area. There's a guy, I love the people I work with. There's one person who is the most unkind, rejecting person. It just hurts me all the time to work with this person. And one day I went to my office so frustrated because I'll get frustrated with this guy and tell him what I think. And then I have to go and apologize. And he's never wrong. I'm always wrong. And so I went to my office one day totally frustrated. And I put my head on the desk and cried. And I said, if you would only get this person out of my life, I could get on with my Christian growth. (laughs) He's still there. (laughs) The health message is more about a more than about physical restoration. If you look at the story of the ten lepers, and we don't have time to go into it, there were ten lepers, they all got cleansed. How many were made whole? It says one came back, fell at his feet in worship, gave glory to God. There's that word glory again. And he says, your faith has made you whole. The health message is about wholeness, not just physical health. You can do the right things and get sick. It happens. We are not promised physical health in this world, even if you eat right. Do we reduce our risk of chronic disease? Amen. The healing of the ten lepers in John 17, verses 12 through 19, teaches us that our message is about wholeness. Wholeness means renewal of physical health. It means restoration of our moral faculties. It means recovery of self-control reconstruction of the character and reinstatement to our position as sons and daughters of God. Paul has, or Peter has told us in 2 Peter 1.3 that he will give us, God will give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that is why Paul said in Romans 15.17, I glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Everything that God wants to do in your life pertains to Him, His character, and His plan for your life. Amen? Amen. How many of you today, if you would like to take a stand with me this morning, would like 
renewal of your physical habits, restoration of your moral faculties, recovery of self-control in the areas that only you know about, reconstruction of these bent characters, and reinstatement to our position as sons and daughters of God. That is what we need. That's what qualifies us. It doesn't mean that we're going to get it perfect every day. It's a process. It's a process. Through many mistakes and errors, we learn. But you have your magnetic north set. When the righteous fall, they get up. They don't give up. Amen? You keep on until you get it right with the Lord. Take your stand with me if you would like to recommit these areas of your life to God. Father in heaven, we come before you as needy children. We want to be qualified to give the first angel's message so that we will not be passed by and say, the summer is past, the harvest is ended, we are not saved. Lord, I pray that we will be in tune with your spirit, that we will spend daily time with you, that you will recreate us in every faculty to reflect your mercy, your kindness, your balance, your sympathy, and your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.